As Michigan's most powerful and influential voice for business, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce stands ready to serve you. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. On a recent and rare warm day, devils and fairies roam the streets of the Cass Corridor in Detroit. Detroit City's paved with gold. Nain Rouge. F U. Nain Rouge. F U. It's the March du Nain Rouge. And the scene is something like if all characters from every fantasy story took to the streets. That. There's a lot of eclectic costumes I'm seeing here today. I'm seeing demon masks with the main theme and color scheme being red for most of the costumes. There's witch garments. There's people. Who Nain Rouge just means red dwarf. Also, it's a French word. It probably has like French tradition. That's the voice of Francis Gruno, co founder of this annual procession. It got started 12 years ago as a callback to an old wife's tale of a red dwarf that the city's credited founder, Antoine de la Motte Cadillac, spotted before his financial ruin. The name Rouge has appeared numerous times, supposedly throughout history, um, as a harbinger of doom. We use the name Rouge's appearance every year as a way of um, having the name have some latest diabolical scheme to bring down the city and then it gives people a reason to sort of come together and, and, and rise up together and you're supposed to come as your alter ego so the Nain Rouge doesn't recognize you so that you don't get cursed. It's pretty absurd and we lean into that. It's basically a party attended by hundreds as we drive out the Nain Rouge. If Detroit had had Mardi Gras, what could it have looked like? But the name isn't the only villain to be driven out this spring. After two tough years of a pandemic, the devil of COVID-19 really seems to be at least lessening its hold on a lot of people. Wait, knock on wood. It's sort of a weird moment where events like this are returning for the first time since COVID upended everything. And there's a lot of questions. How much can we trust this newfound freedom and joy? And where do we go from here? Not just in terms of our physical health, but as a people. To think about what we've all been through during COVID and the loss of people in our lives, you know, something inherent in us to want to do these events and, and be together with people and see people. For all the adversity that we're facing, it's also this opportunity to take a look at, I wonder if there are, are things I could do differently in my life. I think people are eager and, and excited to get back to it, but I think we have to do it thoughtfully. On this week's episode, we explore the oddity of sort of maybe kind of emerging from a pandemic or not, and how experts say we should navigate that for overall well-being. I'm Carrie Jr. II, and this is On The Line.
All right. Can we start by getting your first and last name? Josie Osika. So we are here at the March de Nain Rouge. Um, and we're walking awkwardly alongside because we aren't really sure what our placement is. We're trying to figure out. But just keep telling me a little bit about, uh, first off, this is your first time here, correct? Yes, this is my first time here because it's been put off so much for COVID. The costumes and just being around so many people, it's a little bit overwhelming after so long. I'm just so used to being inside of my apartment alone, just, you know, with my cat or whatever. And now all of a sudden I'm out here with, you know, hundreds of strangers and it's so noisy and I'm so used to my bubble. It's it's back back to the way it was before, right? I mean, for the most part, people are getting together again. There are, you know, people are walking. Nobody crosses to the other side of the road anymore. There are no masks on people. It's it's very different. That's Free Press health reporter Kristen Jordan Seamus. I think in terms of uh, behavioral health and mental health, I think that people are. I get the sense that this is a period where people. Are tentative. And that's Dr. Darren Jones, a clinical psychologist and chief of behavioral health for the Beaumont Health System. They're not quite sure uh, where we're going, which is understandable. We wanted to speak with them both to assess essentially how we're doing right now and how to navigate COVID-19 in the many areas of life it's touched. It's, it's a very strange place to be right now. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge and, you know, understand that Michigan is in really good shape at this moment. We're seeing a really low level of transmission and hospitals are at the lowest point they've been in since August of last year. And that's really, really good. And I think people are reacting to that. Um, But at the same time, there is still this underlying concern. There still is an underlying threat. Going back to the Nain Rouge in March, um, and I attended that, and I, I was probably one of two one of very few people who even had a mask on that day, given we were outside. So what are your feelings about that? When you hear about an event and you see that people are kind of, you know, feeling free and, and living maskless, just what are your feelings when you when you hear about those events? I think people are going to do what they need to do and what they feel is the right thing to do for themselves. And it's not my place to tell them what to do. We've got to keep an eye on the transmission rates in our community and make the decision to do things like going to these festivals and these events, going to the movies, eating in restaurants and attending parties and that kind of thing. We can do that when transmission rates are low, a lot more safely than we can when they're high. And right now, transmission rates are pretty low. There's a lot of joy that we can sort of return to life as we knew it, but with a lot of caution, right? So it's it's this sense of cautious optimism that I think we're seeing right now and in this place in the pandemic. I am cautiously optimistic about where, where we are and where we're headed. Where would you say we are in the pandemic right now? From a mental health standpoint and also just assessing kind of the behavior of society at this moment. Well, it's a great question. I, I think that we're in a, a transitional period. I, I think people feel like in one way that we're we're moving toward what we're calling an endemic phase of the pandemic, where we're learning to how we're going to live with COVID. What does it mean in terms of our uh, our, our workplace relationships, um, our social relationships? Uh, so many individuals in our, our country feel increasingly isolated. And we know that that has such a negative impact on uh, mental health. And so, 
I think that part of what people are doing uh, is they want to get back out and they want to establish those really important social connections. If you go out on a, on a nice day, especially as we come out of winter here, uh, you can get that sense of people being uh, exhilarated by being out again and by interacting again. And so I think that's something that we're going to continue to see um, over the next year or two. We seem to be coming out of the worst of the impacts of, of the pandemic, the things we were seeing in 2020 and to some degree in 21. Can you define what the worst of it looks like? Can you give us a little bit of illustration of what we might see from some behaviors as a response to these two years? But one of my concerns as a behavioral scientist is that uh, because we have been in this fight or flight type reaction under such tremendous stress now for the last couple of years, often as people come out of a phase like that, that's often when the real impact uh, on people is actually the most visible. My message is one of, of hope and recovery uh, and supporting each other. I think we also need to be uh, cautiously optimistic about that because I think that we are going to see people who maybe have managed to hold it together for the past couple of years, but are maybe going to be struggling more as we begin to come out of it. We have seen and we continue to see some very elevated levels of cl clinical levels of depression, anxiety, and these stress responses. The, the real question is, how, uh, how, how much of those increases are we going to continue to see over the next year or two? So could you speak to the change, uh, this change and this phase of uncertainty as it relates to folks who are immunocompromised in other vulnerable communities and aren't able to sort of change their approach at the same rate as everyone else? Sure. I, I think that this is part of why what we can do as individuals is vital. It's looking out for other people folks that perhaps are not, as you say, are not in a position to necessarily advocate for themselves, or they're in a position where uh, they're compromised. If, um, if, you, if it's in your neighborhood, or perhaps in your uh, spiritual community, or maybe it's even coworkers, I really would encourage people to just check in on people and just say, you know, I'm just wondering how you're doing. Just wanted to say hi. Is there anything that you need help with? Is there anything else that you've observed seeing how we've been operating these last few months or, or over the last year as we've kind of transitioned into this phase of uncertainty? I think anecdotally, I think in general, we're seeing some trends of people who perhaps were experiencing anxiety or depression who are uh, doing better now. But I think it's going to be a while before we get a really clear picture. Part of what we know is that the, the need for behavioral health services, the demand for those services, it's, it is so outstripped uh, by the resources that we have. And I think more than ever, it is laid bare the, uh, not only the stark reality of that, but the tremendous disparities that we see, health disparities, social disparities that we have in this country. What other ways can people implement care for themselves mentally? We're in a window of time where Americans are perhaps reconsidering the way that they choose to live their lives. I would argue that's probably part of why 
Uh, we are seeing people changing jobs. For all the adversity that we're facing, it's also this opportunity to take a look at, I wonder if there are, are things I could do differently in my life to lead a life that's more satisfying and that perhaps is more healthy, both mentally and physically. So that's really interesting to say, because what we've been seeing you know, recently in our city, and I'm sure in other places around the world, but specifically in Detroit, you know, people are starting to get, go back out as the weather warms up. And more than ever, again, you know, we had St. Patrick's Day um, recently. We just had the Nain Rouge uh, March in March. <laughs> and then there's other events that are going to be happening as the year progresses. Um, and in some way, th those are ways for people to get back into this normalcy. Um, just based off of what you just said, is that a tactic maybe of coping with some of the stress and anxiety that we've people have been experiencing because of the pandemic and lingering effects of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really astute observation. I think that, and this is true around the world, it's not exclusive to America, but we know that part of the way that people deal with extreme stress and adversity is that sense of community. After the break, a variant of a variant, how long this respite may last, and the reality of COVID-19 in 2022. As Michigan's leading statewide business advocacy organization, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is on the job every day standing up for job providers in the legislative, political, and legal arenas. We are the unified voice of thousands of members who employ over one million Michiganders. We work with trade associations and local chambers of commerce of every size and kind in all 83 counties of the state. We know business in Michigan. Learn more today about how we can protect, connect, and strengthen your business. Whether that's advocating on your behalf at the Capitol, helping meet your informational training and networking needs, or boosting your bottom line visibility and voice, we're on the job for you. Make my chamber your chamber. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. And we're back talking about the strange moment we're in with COVID-19 and a sort of return to normalcy. As we've discussed, mental health is playing a big role in how we're moving forward, getting back to big gatherings and just generally going out. But of course, our physical health is what kept us cooped up in the first place. So we turned to health reporter Kristen Jordan Seamus to learn just where we're at and where we're going. It, it just feels very 2019, if I should say. Um, but as we go into 2022, transitioning back to this current year, what are health experts predicting about pandemic trends? Yeah, so we're seeing a lull in cases and hospitalizations right now in Michigan and nationally. Um, but in some parts of the U.S., you know, in particular the East Coast, we're starting to see this uptick. Um, and it's thought to be driven by that BA2 subvariant of Omicron. BA2 has more mutations and it spreads even more easily than the original Omicron. And experts really aren't in agreement about whether it'll drive another big spike in cases in the weeks ahead here in Michigan or not, or across the U.S. And so odds are good that we're not going to stay in this really low-level spot 
we're in right now for very long. Um, but there's a question about whether the warmer weather outside and people moving activities outdoors and if things will remain stable through spring and summer and it won't be until fall that we might see another surge. Um, I, you said subvariant, which, you know, we've already been seeing so many variants, but there's a variant of a variant now? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what BA2 is. It's like, you know, it, Omicron mutated again. Yeah. Understood. Okay. And so, you know, as we get into these warmer months, further into 2022, I mean, in Michigan, we we have a rough winter. And, you know, it gets really cold and it's cold for a long time. So when it breaks, everyone loves to go outside, enjoy barbecuing, picnicking. Public health officials are suggesting, cons considering that these events are coming back, in preparation for them. So across the board, the recommendation is always just to get vaccinated and get boosted. Stay up to date on your shots. You know, among the most pe vulnerable people to COVID-19 are, are the folks who are older than 65, people who are immune compromised. For those folks, the vaccines might not be as effective and they might want to do something like wear a mask, right? Or stay away from other people and maybe not go to the big festival. But the one thing to know about these outdoor events is that they're outdoors. And that really does help when it comes to the spread of the virus. Those are the current recommendations. Do we anticipate that they would update them or change them considering the predict prediction that you just outlined, a potential spike, or will they probably stay consistent throughout? We probably will see the recommendations change. Absolutely. If we start to surge again, health officials might say people should put masks back on. So it's it's a little bit of a weird place that we're in right now. And I think a lot of folks feel like they, you know, can go back to normal and, and do all the things that they used to do. And it can feel a little bit freeing and refreshing to see maskless faces and to do all the things we used to do and not really worry about it. But we do have to remember that the virus is still out there and some people are still getting sick. And if you're a vulnerable person or you're somebody who's got small kids who are too young to get the vaccines, it can feel a little bit like you're on an island, right? Like the world has moved on, but you can't. And there's a strangeness about being the only person in the room wearing a mask. Do you feel like the fact that society is embracing that freedom, some of society is able to do that, makes it a little bit harder for those who, who can't? I think it does. I think it absolutely does. Um, I have a daughter who has an autoimmune disease who takes pretty heavy immune suppressant medications. And so she's very, very vulnerable. Um, and so for me, I don't feel like we get to go back to normal. You know, there's, there's this concern that, you know, going to school every day and sitting next in a room with 30 other kids who don't have masks on, your teacher doesn't have a mask on, but you do. And there's, there's a lot of fear. Uh, she's had the vaccine. She's had two boosters now because she's immune compromised. But we don't know how much protection she's going to get from that, if any. So while everyone else is out going to parties and doing all this stuff, we're still feeling like we kind of have to be turtles in a shell. Uh, I really appreciate that perspective. Thank you. Uh, I do want to go to one thing you reminded me of that impacts vulnerable groups. Where are we at with boosters? Yeah, so on Tuesday, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved an emergency youth authorization for a second booster dose for people 50 and older of either the Moderna or the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, as long as it's been at least four months since their last dose of a vaccine. 
Um, also eligible is another group of people. It's those 12 and older who have medical conditions that compromise their immune systems. And so for that group of people, the primary series of vaccines, so to be considered fully vaccinated, it's not two doses of Moderna or Pfizer, but three. And so they were encouraged back in October to take a fourth dose, and now the door is open for them to get another boost. And I just wanted to mention that we could see vaccines come to market for kids six months and older pretty soon. Moderna plans to apply to the FDA for an emergency use authorization for those kids. But the catch is the shots aren't as effective, but it's just something to think about. I wonder if we will look back at this moment once we can actually say the pandemic has ended and wonder if this was that phase where it started to phase out. Yeah, I think we're definitely at a precipice. And I think, you know, there are lots of people moving forward very slowly with extremely small baby steps, with trepidation, you know, over concern about what's to come. So all we can do is is look at what has happened up until now in the pandemic and make the best predictions and the best choices we can for the moment we're in right now. What's interesting about some of the people I spoke to when I was at the Nain Rouge March, they were saying... I think that normal isn't really a thing that exists. Josie Osika, who you heard at the top of the episode. Um, I think that... Normal is just a word for what we're used to, but everything's been shaken up so much in the past few years that we don't have anything that we're used to anymore. And we're trying to rebuild something in that sense. So I guess in that way, this does feel normal in that it kind of emulates the past, but it's definitely not the same. They're trying to actively use their agency to feel normal by enjoying some of these events. Are we getting back to normal? I, I, I think that, you know, it will take um, doing this a lot to feel that way. I think there were glimmers of it. Francis Gruno again, the Nain Rouge co-founder. And I think that um, it kind of uh, underscores how much we need this for our souls. Um, Knowing, knowing that we also have to try to be um, careful and mindful of, of the seriousness of, of the situation. So it's a balancing act, I, I think. There are definitely folks who feel like they have put off too much and they're not willing to put off or miss anything else anymore. Think about all the people who had weddings scheduled. I think about the folks who maybe retired in 2019 and had all these plans to travel and do all this great stuff in retirement. And then all of that sort of came to a halt, right? I think people are eager and and excited to get back to it. But I think we have to do it thoughtfully. But I think moving forward, again, I think being uh, smart. Dr. Darren Jones once more. Being careful about how we expand our social events and our our community type of interactions. Uh, But I think for our mental health, I think being able to move into this next phase, this endemic phase, I think holds a lot of promise for us being able to uh, to feel better and to function better. Thanks to Detroit Free Press health reporter Kristen Jordan Seamus and Dr. Darren Jones of Beaumont Health Systems for sitting down and talking to us. Additional thanks to Francis Gruno and Josie Osika. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis. 
Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thanks as always for listening, and don't forget to share this with your friends, uh, like and subscribe, and don't forget to rate us. See you next week. <laughs>